0: it is november 11th it is temperature uh i think it's 71 when i came into the station and um it is veterans day hello dan hello buzz yes it is 70. it's, unbelievable. it's nice huh i know well i keep i listen to brian adams and he says <laughs> there is climate and there is weather and don't confuse the too.
1: Well, so. yes. I mean, hey, enjoy it, because next week it will get chilly. Yes. So there you go. There we go. It's I, November.
0: I, I did some—I'm still putting away our gardens and got my hands dirty, and the it's, it's, soil isn't cold is that, yet. Is that what you're
1: going to be doing this weekend? taking care of the gardens. I think we
0: just finished this morning. Oh, you finished? Yeah. Oh, very nice. So I don't know what we're doing. I know, when I get home, I'll be told what we're doing this weekend. So hey, y- Yes, you will. I can't wait. <laughs> I just wanted to spend a minute, Dan, talking about, before one of my favorite guests, um, uh, I want to talk about Veterans Day, because I was just talking to Dylan Hatch here, our assistant, and uh, he did a little bit of research for me, because I complained, as I often do, listen, it's okay that we celebrate veterans, but... How come we, we have Memorial Day when we celebrate those who gave their lives for our country? Um, and it's always been one of my pet peeves that we don't celebrate the lives of like civil rights workers who were killed in Mississippi, you know, defending civil rights. We, it's people in uniform. So I can kind of live with that. But then we had this thing called Armistice Day, the armistice being the truce, which was uh, signed on November 11th of 1918, it celebrated peace until 1954, Dylan tells me, when some veterans organizations um, lobbied to have it changed to Veterans Day to celebrate uh, those people who had served in the armed forces, not just those who had been killed in the armed forces, which Memorial Day is technically for. And then Dylan said, But we also have Armed Forces Day, which is the third Saturday in May, first observed in 1950 to celebrate those people who are currently in uniform. And Buzz, look at this, and he gave me a list that he had researched, which is on the 29th of March is Vietnam Veterans Day. Um, Of course, Memorial Day on the last Monday of May, but uh, June 14th, which is uh, United States Army Day, August 4th, Coast Guard Day. Um, September 18th, Air Force Day, October 13th, U.S. Navy birthday, and then October 27th, Navy Day, then the Marine Corps birthday, and National Guard Day, and now December 20th has been named Space Force birthday. So we have a lot to celebrate. (laughs) I I mean, veterans, no offense, but how many days do you need? And if we take off all of those celebratory days, who's going to pay for our armed services. So that's my pitch for the day before we turn to the always wonderful Natalie Blake, Hello, Representative.
2: How are you? Thank you. Uh, well, thank you for talking about Veterans Day. Um, I was in Sunderland yesterday. They have a beautiful ceremony with the Sunderland Elementary School. This is the 14th annual uh, Veterans Day event that they've had. It's with the kids from, from the school. It was really incredible. And then today I was in Col rain where they unveiled a new veterans Memorial park. Um, so it was, it was good to be out and about in the district.
0: It's great. And, and I don't, you know, I mean, I don't want to demean anybody who, who gave service, but people volunteer and they get paid. And I don't know why we can't have a day that celebrates peace. We do plenty to celebrate conflict but to have one day a year where we just celebrate the aspiration of peace. I remember Dennis Kucinich, the congressman from Ohio who ran for president, he wanted to create a Department of Peace, um, to juxtapose that against the Defense Department, which was created as Department of War. But um, And he just wanted to have one department celebrating peace. I thought, that doesn't seem excessive to me. It seems like a good thing to aspire to, is peace. But anyway.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I- Absolutely. <laughs> right there with you.
0: So, how do you feel about the election results of 2022 in the state? Let's start with Massachusetts.
2: <laughs> Let's start in the state. We made history. Uh, it, it was really incredible to be a part of this moment in history um, where we elected so many women to statewide constitutional offices. Um, and broke down barriers. Uh, really, it was. Um, it's been an incredible first four years. in Office, and and this was really uh, a wonderful way to to run for reelection alongside so many strong, um, smart, uh, experienced wow. women who have have really done so much uh, in in their own rights. And are really serving as, as role models for for young people, uh, not only in the Commonwealth, but across the nation. And so uh, we've talked about this before, Buzz, but it has really been um, so special to to be to see my name on the ballot alongside so many other strong, incredible candidates.
0: It's great on Wednesday morning. I, I, I should have asked, um Dan to find sound effects but I just opened the show with do you hear that sound that's a glass glass ceiling breaking mm. all around mm-hmm. us and it, it is it's incredibly important it's uh, it is historic and we should be celebrating not only the voters but those women who have such confidence like you and who we can entrust with um with our future and our present so I'm grateful to each of you, and I'm grateful, I'm so glad to live in Massachusetts, especially when I watch the evening news. I'm yes. like, how lucky are we?
2: We are, we are all pretty lucky to live in this Commonwealth. And I agree. You know, what we're seeing nationally uh, is still up in the air. Uh, and I'm just really, I'm excited about the opportunity to work alongside Senator Paul Mark and Senator Joe Comerford. And uh, at the federal level with, with Reps Neil. And McGovern. I mean, we could not ask for a better team to be supporting the First Franklin District.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, we have nine Democratic representatives in Congress, in the House of Representatives in Congress, in, and um, it's very comforting. And and um, and now we have Maura Healy in the in the uh, executive suites in the State House, and uh, and Kim Driscoll. Um, it is. It's an exciting time, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I love how open both the governor-elect and lieutenant governor-elect have, have been to wanting to have conversations about what is important here in Western Massachusetts. You know, what do we need to be successful? Uh, they they've asked for information. They want to be partners, and uh, I will be forever grateful to them for for making that connection and understanding how unique the challenges that we face here. Certainly, in our rural communities, um, is and you know, their willingness to work alongside all of us uh, to begin to find solutions. And it's it's really incredible to have that partnership. Uh, yeah. With
0: Beacon Hill. We were really lucky. We had Kim Driscoll here in the studio three times um, for both the primary and the general election, and and she made it pretty amazing. <laughs> she made it really, really clear that she she understands that she has to reach out and be a great listener to western massachusetts and she knows that it's an important part of our state she said some really wonderful things about it's not just important that those people get heard in western massachusetts but there's much that western massachusetts has to teach the rest of the commonwealth Mm. i was really impressed with that that. and i hope she remembers that when she's in Um, those meetings with the governor
2: and her talking about every town being our hometown. You know, each one of us cares so deeply about our hometowns, and we do. Each, each community across the Commonwealth has something to bring to strengthen uh, this Commonwealth as a whole. And I do believe that this team uh, that we have just elected really understands that and, and believes in that and wants to, um, to foster the very best that every single community in the Commonwealth has to offer.
0: So, speaking of this team, you and I, when we last spoke um, on the air, we were talking about the questions, um, and I do want to talk about the questions, but in particular, I want to talk about question five, because you told us that it would be very illuminating for you as a representative to find out how your constituents feel about a carbon fee. And um, now you've learned, I mean, I think Franklin County, 56 percent, Approved mm-hmm. it throughout the county, and I think uh, here in Hampshire County, in Hampshire First, um, I think that it was more like uh, seventy or seventy-five percent, something like that. Yeah. Um 70. So now you've learned that a majority of people in First Franklin and First Hampshire want that. What where, where do you take it now? What about what do you do with the science of it? What do you do with mm-hmm. the complexity of
2: it? Yeah, you know, I. <laughs> I was reflecting on when I was first elected, Uh, I I held a forum in Williamsburg with then representative, Jen Benson, who was the legislative sponsor of the carbon cashback legislation at that time. And as a new representative, I had no idea who was going to show up, if anyone would show up at all. (laughs) And um, and at the anti-dumpy school in Williamsburg, at this uh, you know, event talking with Jen Benson about this cashback, uh, carbon cashback legislation, we had a packed auditorium. Uh, and I'll, for, I'll be forever grateful to her for coming out to Westboro, Massachusetts at the invitation of a newly elected legislator to talk about something that was really important to first Franklin uh, district constituents. Uh, I, I co-sponsored that bill at the time and, uh, she had also been the sponsor of the grid modernization bill, which I then took on when she left, and we were able to get into the climate bill. Um, and I've lent my support to the Green Futures Act this session, which is a carbon cashback uh, legislation. And what the results of the this ballot question, this non-binding ballot question, tell me is that First Franklin District's remain constituents remain strongly committed to measures like this one to combat climate change. Uh, but I did feel that it was very important to allow voters to tell me, you know, this is this is part of our democracy. This is an op- a non-binding ballot question that allows voters to tell me how they want me to um to act. And uh it it feels like Not much has changed since I was first elected, and and I'm glad to be able to work with constituents moving forward on how I can best support uh, this priority for them.
0: That's really great. We are talking to Natalie Blay, uh, who won a resounding affirmation of the work she's been doing and is going to do uh, continuing to represent us in um, the general court. And we're going to be back with Natalie after these messages. Do stay with us.
3: This is the it's Afternoon Buzz dawn, with Buzz it's Eisenberg 1015 WHMP it's a New
4: life for me
5: yeah. it's a new dawn it's a new day it's a new life for me ooh, 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 ooh.
3: And I'm feeling good <laughs>
6: Hey, everyone. It's Tina Marie, co-pilot of The Cambridge Connection. I'm also a certified credit counselor. For 25 years, I've been helping people have a better relationship with money while getting out of debt. Every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. right here on WHMP, join me, Gordon, and our variety of amazing experts who stop by to offer great advice, Navigating the daily financial maze of life.
3: Join Tim Velozo of Simply IT as he talks with Gordon and Tina Marie and offers tips to
0: protect your personal financial information.
7: The music of John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane, made new by rising young jazz lioness, Lakeisha Benjamin. Lakeisha Benjamin, a charismatic and dynamic young jazz sax player, brings her band to UMass November 17th. Benjamin's new album, Pursuance, The Coltrane's, is an intergenerational masterwork, taking you on a journey through the lineage of jazz. Lakeisha Benjamin infuses the jazz tradition with touches of hip hop and soul. Producing soaring sonic adventures and dance floor worthy rhythms and grooves. For tickets, UMass Fine Arts Center website. Don't miss this exciting exploration of the living art form that is jazz. The LaKeisha Benjamin Quartet, Thursday, November 17th, 7:30, Balcar Auditorium at UMass. This fide
0: Minute is brought to you by New England Orthopedic Surgeons of Western Mass.
8: Your shoulder. It's one of the largest and most complex joints in your body, consisting of the bones of the upper arm, shoulder blade, and collarbone, and the rotator cuff, a collection of muscles and tendons that not only surround the shoulder, but give it support and a wide range of motion. Hi, this is Dr. Jenny Garber, arthroscopic and shoulder surgeon at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. Competitive hockey and basketball players can sustain shoulder injuries, such as shoulder separation and dislocation, and tears of ligaments and tendons from sliding into the boards, falling on the ice or court, or direct contact. But shoulder sprains, strains, and tears can also occur in us regular folks at Sunday pickup games, during dreaded winter shoveling, or even through wear and tear over time. So, whether you're a professional athlete, weekend warrior, or someone in between, you can trust the team at New England Orthopedic Surgeons to give you the best bona fide care around. Visit anyortho.com to schedule your appointment today.
1: I am Marco, and I have always been full of life, full of energy, and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today.
6: Register at registerme.org. Sponsored by New England Donor Services.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
0: And welcome back those who've been with us, and welcome aboard those who are just coming on board during the break. We were, we just started talking before we came back on the air about how. Uh, the town clerks are the unsung heroes. We are talking with Representative Natalie Blay. What about our town clerks who are, are chief election officials in all of these hill towns and our small cities out here?
9: Mm.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our town clerks. <laughs> yeah. I, um, as you know, now the 1st Franklin District includes 18 communities, uh, 17 towns and uh, precincts 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Greenfield. And on Election Day... I spent the day traveling to each one of those 18 communities and delivered thank you notes to our town clerks because mm-hmm. what what they do uh, every day and certainly in the lead up to our elections is heroic. It, they are on the ground protecting our democracy uh, in ways that we never see. You know, we <laughs> they're working um, extra hours. They are they're there with early voting. They're there on election day. And I have to say that is, that is a heavy burden. Protecting our democracy is a heavy, heavy lift.
0: It's unbelievable how hard they work and especially around the election season. And, and, you know, and and most of them don't, they don't work 40 hours because the small towns can't afford to have them work 40 hours, but they are uh, during early voting. They, they have to be in their office to pick up the ballots and, uh, they're just really incredible. When I listen to these election deniers, um, and I, I know because for 45 years, my wife Marcina and I have counted ballots in Ashfield mm-hmm. and you know sat there and checked off people as they come in and then count opened ballots and counted them. And we know what, what security is involved to make yeah. sure that they're all accurate. When I hear these people making these bold accusations with no evidence, that just drives me Crazy. So here, here, town clerks,
2: and and also people like you, Buzz. I mean, I was I was in Leverett at seven fifty-five to get results um, at Leverett on election night, and I walked into town hall, and it was packed. It was it was magic. It, It was magical to be there with so many people from the community who wanted to who were there to to count ballots, and. It is. Admitted to the democratic process. It goosebumps.
0: Was it's goosebumps. And <laughs> and, uh, geez, I I want to turn our attention to what happened federally because it's so important. But I, not bef- before I leave, things like my wife and I who count ballots, as I said, uh, just as an added security, we can't count together. They separate us mm-hmm. to make sure that there isn't you know a bias or prejudice in the way that we count, so that there's somebody else watching somebody else in in every pairing of people it's just uh it's impossible to cheat and nobody wants to cheat everybody wants to get it exactly right because they're committed as you say to democracy so boo on you people who challenge the electoral process it's a rather remarkable one uh that we've created over the last quarter of a millennium (laughs) millennium Mm -hmm. counting here in this country but i gotta ask you there's multiple personality buzz buzz 1 says to buzz 2 isn't it great that uh the red wave didn't happen and then buzz 2 says yes but um it's these razor sharp uh differences from all these different jurisdictions say that we're just so divided and so i know what i'm going to do i'm going to ask natalie blay how should we feel about the results of this election <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, the results are still coming in and the red wave did not happen. I, I have to, um, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to think positively about this because I do believe that democratic voters showed up and said enough. We are going to stand up for a woman's right to choose. We are going to stand up for de- for democracy. We're going to stand up for decency in, and, and not stand for this divide that has been perpetuated um, by people, like election deniers that you just talked about. Um, our country is better than that. Our democracy is better than that. And I do believe that we saw that in this election. And that is what's going to carry us forward. That's what I think of.
0: Well. I got to remember that. I got to. I got to listen to this tape over and over again when I start to get, either somewhere between frustrated and despondent, and um, it, it's very. Uh, I'm ready to move on. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. Is what Dan just played yes. for us. Yes. So yes. yeah. So when do you go we back?
2: Don't, if we if we if we don't think that way, if we don't think that way, then the Kerry Lakes and and everybody who is questioning the democratic process will win. Yeah. And. We can't allow that to happen. We have to allow the goodness in people, in terms of what they're doing to protect our democracy, to shine through, and for us to move forward.
0: That's a great place to leave it. And so, Jeff Politano is is on with his weekly "The Good Thing," and his good thing for this week is your colleague, Representative uh, Trish Farley Bouvier of the Third. Trish
2: Farley Bouvier. There we She's go. a hero.
0: She's a hero. <laughs> So it's, uh, it's, a, it's an all-strong, smart women-representing-us day here in the afternoon, Buzz. Natalie, congratulations. Thank you so much for joining us again, and it's always a pleasure.
2: Buzz, we'll talk to you soon.
0: All righty. Bye-bye. We will be right back with Jeff and with his guest from the 3rd Berkshire District right after these messages. Stay with us.
3: This is the afternoon buzz with Buzz Everything Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
1: People who surround a field of benefit of it, a major camp. Children, you kept a vet in a pound. Suddenly I, see, Suddenly, I see. This is what I want
6: to be. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Incumbent Democratic Senator John Velas won by nearly double the votes on Tuesday to continue to represent residents of Hampshire and Hampden counties in the Senate. Velas told 22 News that one of his main priorities is continued relief for taxpayers.
4: We need some tax relief. I mean, there's a lot of good tax relief in the economic development bill, you know, raising the estate tax threshold, the child deduction tax credit, child care tax credit. We need to implement those in a law.
6: This will be Velas' second full term in the state Senate. UMass is among five prestigious colleges investing in a high-performance computer center in Holyoke. Together, UMass, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Harvard, Boston, and Northeastern universities are investing $5 million into the 13-year-old facility to better serve the needs of the school's science and engineering programs. The money will purchase several thousand new servers inside the 90,000-square-foot facility. The investment shows that the schools expect steady growth in these fields with advancements in science and engineering, relying more and more on complex computational processes. Voters in the 1st Franklin and 1st Hampshire districts largely support the idea of a carbon tax, a non-binding question on Tuesday's ballot passed with about 56 percent of voters in Franklin County and 70 percent in Hampshire County. Because the ballot question is non-binding, the results show state representatives the opinions of voters without creating laws or amendments like the four primary ballot questions this year.
1: Hi, I'm Nicaresco. Rain and wind this evening. Rain could be heavy at times. Windy with gusts over 30 miles
4: per hour. Warm with temperatures in the upper 60s to near 70. Rain and windy tonight with lows in the 60s. I'm Nicaresco on 1015 WHMP. For
6: WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Frances Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without? unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk, and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit
3: At American National, what's important to you is important to us. Just like every horse is unique, so is our equine coverage. American National's equine owner's insurance is designed to address the inherent risks involved with owning horses. Flexible enough to provide property and liability coverage for operations of various sizes, yet can be tailored for your specific needs. We're right by your side. For more information, just visit AmericanNational.com. American National Property and Casualty Company and Affiliates, Springfield, Missouri. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
0: And welcome back, those who have been with us, and welcome aboard, those who are just joining us. This is uh, it's an exciting Friday. Um, Jeff Napolitano, you have a good thing for us today. What do you got?
4: Yes, I have uh, on on the air as our guest, um, Representative Tricia Farley-Bouvier, who is the state rep uh, for Massachusetts uh, third Berkshire district. Um, And um, the representative is here and gonna talk about, among other things, question four, which uh, thankfully just passed in Massachusetts this week. So welcome uh, Representative uh, Farley-Bouvier. And congratulations. Congratulations, right, of course. Thank
5: you, thank you. I really am am, uh, thrilled to be uh, joining you here today Um, you know, it's, we've had a really good week and it's great to be able to celebrate on a Friday afternoon.
4: Yeah. I have to say that this, the end of this week seems a lot better than this week seemed at the very beginning of it. Um, (laughs) And I I suspect that's, that's the case for you, like a thousandfold as well. Um, So, and and I
5: think that because we've gotten to the end of the week um, and we're not just quite as exhausted as we were in the middle of the week, Mm -hmm. um, that it's sinking in like, what a great what a great outcome this has been.
4: So I wanted to ask you in particular about your work, um, in Berkshire County, but in beyond as well, uh, and around your advocacy for question four that passed. And if you could describe just real quick for perhaps the less politically savvy folks uh, in our audience, what that is and, um, and why you were uh, campaigning for it.
5: Sure. So there's a little, a tiny bit of history lesson here. Okay. So, um, So I've been working on the legislation um, that in the end was called the Work and Family Mobility Act for the last eight years. But in reality, efforts like this um, on this issue of driver's license has been going on for 20 years in the Commonwealth. Sure. And um, this past June, um, we passed in the legislature the Work and Family Mobility Act. It became law in June. Just want to clarify that. And this this new law um, ensures that all drivers in Massachusetts are trained, licensed, and insured, regardless of their immigration status. So it created a new provision to be able to get a standard driver's license. You may remember that we actually have two tiers of driver's license in Massachusetts, the standard driver's license and the real ID. And this allows for um, access to the standard driver's license mm-hmm. with some very strict identification um, requirements um, that are in here in this new pro- in these new provisions. And um, so again, it became law in June. What happened subsequent to that is a small group of people got together and um, did all the work that you have to do to get it on the ballot to try to repeal the law. Um, they disagree with the fact that um, immigrants without federal status should be able to get a driver's license in Massachusetts. Yep. Um, and so it went on the ballot. And the question was, do you think it should stay a law? And that's why those who supported this initiative, the answer was yes. The vote would be yes, which, of course, was confusing to a lot of people. Right. Sure. If you're yep. working to repeal a law, then maybe you should be voting. Yes to repeal, but you know those who put ballot questions together actually do it on purpose to um, to to cause confusion. Yep. So there was a lot of education that had to happen about like what this was to begin with, and then how to answer the question mm-hmm. if you did support it. And um, this this ballot question four, um, the yes campaign won at about 54 percent. Um, so with an eight point lead, you know, we were able to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're, you know, really very, very pleased to know that, you know, the families who've been waiting um, for this, that this is really going to change their lives, um, are do not have their hopes dashed.
4: Right. and And on a pragmatic level, and this was the thing that really sort of confounded me, just on a pragmatic level, it will actually mean that. This, the streets, the roads of Massachusetts are going to be safer, like they're going to be. Uh, yeah.
5: It, it, it's absolutely true. And we have data to prove it um, that in other states that have passed this law before, because we are the 17th state to pass this law. Uh-huh. Um, hit and runs have gone down um, anywhere from nine to 11 percent. Right. Um, and that is. So that's a lot of hit and runs, right? Yeah. Um, like in California, to go down by nine percent—that's you know hundreds of thousands of hit and runs, right? Yep. Um, so, um, and we know that there, there will be um, less cost to everybody's um, uh, auto insurance—not a lot, but but less. But the big thing is where the real savings comes from—the you know just person who's been driving for a long time—is. If, if whenever you're hit by someone un, uninsured, mm-hmm. it costs you money, costs mm-hmm. a, could cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking that um, worry away from people. Right. Um, and law enforcement supported this a lot, like, you know, the, supported by the sheriff's association, by the DA's association, by the major chief's association, because they knew that this was going to make it safer on the roads and quite frankly, safer for the officer. Um, because there's so much tension when somebody is stopped without a without a driver's license
4: right absolutely
5: um, so um, you know we really had broad support and we had support from insurance um, companies also
4: right um so representative Ali Bouvier um uh, now that that uh, question four is is law again or at least enshrined um, for mm-hmm. as as law mm-hmm. I'm wondering um, you know, you said you mentioned you had worked on this for eight years. Um, what's what's the, the new and exciting stuff for the next legislative season?
5: <laughs> well, I can answer that in two ways. One is, you know, in in the uh, space of immigrant rights, you know, what would we be looking at? And I think the next logical thing is something that was talked about years ago is something that we refer to as in-state tuition. Mm-hmm. And does it make sense for our economy right? Mm-hmm. Um, to make sure we have people in jobs um, that we are in desperate need of um, to be able to get in-state tuition. Um, you know, that's that's a discussion, you know, it's going to be a long-term discussion, just like driver's license is a long-term discussion. But for myself, um, I'm very much involved in the child welfare space. And I, um, you know, have come come to that at a couple of different angles. Um, supporting foster families, uh, supporting sibling rights, um, looking at uh, foster care review. And um, what I would like to do is to really dive deep into um, child welfare issue and DCF and all the issues that are in, uh, happening at DCF right now. It's uh, it's pretty frightening what happens to kids and families.
4: Yeah. Yes. I think that we've all seen sort of horror stories in the in the paper and, and that sort of thing. Um mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, uh, you mentioned about, you know, in-state tuition, given that question one also passed, uh, will that yeah. perhaps help defray the costs of, um, and, or at least move the needle a little bit on, on the, the idea of in-state tuition for immigrants, and does that relate to it at all?
5: Yeah, I've, I haven't put those two together in in a thought yet, but I could see where it could be. I think there's going to be a lot of hard discussions uh, coming um, about I'm just going to interrupt, Representative,
0: just, just to say yeah. for listeners who might not remember, question one is the millionaire's tax. Anybody who earns over a million dollars pays a 4% tax, and that is dedicated, the money that's generated, which is estimated to be between 1.2 billion projected um, new tax revenues, up to 2 billion only to go to public education. And to infrastructure, and, and
1: just to clarify,
0: and, it's the income and, over a million
5: dollars right. that
0: is taxed at four percent. That's right. Sorry exactly. to interrupt you, but I
5: want to make sure that yeah, people no, know what well, we're I, talking about. No, I, I appreciate that, and and so it's it's education and transportation infrastructure. Right. Yep. Um, so. The question now is, so there's no question that that money has to be spent on those things, and they're limited to those things. Yep. They're w- Within those categories, how is that money prioritized? And that is where the difficult discussions will come mm-hmm. because there, so many things are priorities, right? So I'm a huge advocate for early education, mm-hmm. and I understand that higher ed has been underinvested invested for a long time. So just just that. Right? Yep. I'm a huge advocate for West East Rail, um, and we know that the MBTA is literally on fire. So yeah, we, right. you know, having these discussions about how we um, how we spend this money, um, I mean, people might say, oh, great, two billion dollars. We're going to be set. Well, you know, it takes a lot more than that to run a Commonwealth. Right. So yeah. um, we still will have hard decisions to make.
1: And may I add one quick thing about Massachusetts? It's, it's if you look at its total tax structure, it's really in the middle of the pack of all the states. Absolutely. So you know, Absolutely. it's around twenty-four, twenty-five. So this additional tax is the money we haven't been charging over decades ever since it got the moniker of taxachusetts which mm-hmm. you know w- was used against massachusetts so there's there's some public investments there, that there's some room just, to tax some more millionaires
4: i
0: just
1: well <laughs> for the mbta which is the lifeblood of boston which is also the largest economic driver of the state of new england mm-hmm. it's been neglected for so long it's like you know this is long-term investments that need to be made
5: right and um just you know many other states have Uh, tiered income taxes, uh, income tax structure. Massachusetts has a flat income tax structure. Mm -hmm. You know, your income in New York is taxed a lot more than Mm -hmm. you in Massachusetts. But and to say that while we know that the MBTA needs um, investment, um, we we talk about neglect. You know, the four Western Mass counties have, you know, been subject to an enormous long term neglect and that needs to stop and a really tangible way that we are going to be able to make a difference is West East Rail, Western Mass Rail, so the whole rail system within within Western Mass.
4: Here, here. Okay. Thank you, Representative Tricia Farley-Bouvier. I delighted
5: to join you. What a nice way to spend a Friday afternoon.
4: Yes, re- reveling in in victory. Uh, it's, it's great. Thank you for being here, and thank you for all your work. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute to talk about the school committee in Northampton. Thank you.
3: This is The Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
0: Police and law enforcement, schools, elections, federal money, and state support so many critical issues facing our cities and towns and we'll get the perspective of Holyoke's Mayor, Joshua Garcia. It's Mayor's Monday on WHMP, beginning Monday at nine o'clock. Bill
5: Newman, weekdays at nine. And again at five. WHMP, news, information, and
6: the arts. My name is Jenny George. I'm the director of planned giving at Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Having a strong community health system is vital to the health and well-being of our community. At Cooley, we're grateful to the community that supports us through your kind words, generous gifts, and legacy plans. Without you, we wouldn't have a thriving community hospital that's here for you and the people you love. I welcome you to get in touch to talk about what Cooley means to you. Visit us at CooleyDickinson.org giving.
8: The Snow Farm Craft Second Sale is live this Friday through Sunday. Shop the work of over 200 artists in glass, ceramics, clothing, jewelry, and more. All at great prices. The artists may think they're seconds, but you'll never know. Shop local and handmade. And support Snow Farm and the artists. Reserve a shopping time in advance to limit large groups. Three weekends start this Friday from 10 to 4 in Williamsburg. The Snow Farm Second Sale. For details and reservations, go to snowfarm.org.
3: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHM. We're back with
4: Jeff DiPolotano. So, Jeff, talk to us. So, um, there was a uh, school committee meeting last night in Northampton. And uh, the topic of the conversation was, um, as I had talked about previously uh, the last time I was on, the COVID policy, the, the policy that the school committee is... Uh, trying to develop to figure out, you know, when should masks be um, mandatory at what level of COVID uh, in the community, in the school? um, Should there be other mitigations, you know, ventilate, all that, all this stuff. And so uh, this all sort of came to a head last night at the school committee meeting. Um, I suspect that the Gazette uh, and, I don't know, maybe other news are going to cover it uh, in the sometime the next week because it was a very contentious meeting and it was a very uh, long subject, uh, debate that they had on this. I think it was about three hours, the first three hours of the meeting was dedicated to basically um, about a, I think it was a half hour of public comment on the issue and then like two and a half hours of the school committee going back and forth and back and forth. Um, In public, I think all of the public comment was dedicated to this, and it was people who were in favor or opposed um, to to what what was being proposed, um, and what was being proposed was uh, a a policy of strictly and only adhering to the Desi guidelines. And Desi is the State Department of Education and Secondary Education. Um, and in order to come up with a recommendation about like what the guideline should be, there was there's this subcommittee of the school committee, um, and they have you know doctors and medical professionals on it, but then they have other people as well. This is the ad hoc committee. This is the ad hoc committee, right. And so um, Dr. Adrian Straub was actually part of public comment. And he was weirdly um, sort of uh, shedding some doubt on a New England Journal of Medicine article that came out, a peer-reviewed study that came out yesterday that said that masks actually do reduce the number of absences and the spread of COVID in class and and in schools. Uh, I I spoke during public comment, um, but also the end of public comment was um, done by the last speaker was a Dr. Ian Goodman, who is actually a member of that ad hoc subcommittee for the school committee, trying to figure out COVID policy. And this is what he said. This is Dr. Ian Goodman.
9: My name is Ian Goodman. I am a pediatrician. I am a board-certified pediatric emergency physician. I am the interim medical director of the only pediatric emergency department in western Massachusetts. I am a parent of a child in Northampton Public Schools, and I am one of two physicians on the ad hoc Committee for COVID Advisory, who voted against adopting the Desi regulation. There were two independent physicians there to vote that day. Both of us said no. And the simple reason that both of us said no is the same reason that many of my friends and colleagues and neighbors who were standing behind me put on signs months ago, which was Follow the experts. Follow the medical advice of the CDC. Follow the best science available. DESE does not. The Centers for Disease Control are the people that have put out the best available evidence that we have for containment of COVID and policies for our schools. Every other state in New England has the equivalent of DESE that follows the CDC. We don't. The DESE guidelines are medically wrong. There's no debate about that. The CDC says this is what we should be doing. DESE does not do that. So there's been a lot of people who have asked you to do a lot of things tonight. All I ask you to do is in this moment, when you're being asked to do medical decision-making, follow the medical experts. Vote no on following Desi. Thank you. Thank you.
4: So that was Dr. Ian Goodman. He was talking about his role on the the, the subcommittee that advised the school committee on what to do about, regarding COVID. And um, he, he said, you know, you should vote no and, and, um, on, on what was being proposed. And what was being proposed is just going along with the bare bones um, state guidelines, which, interestingly enough, Tons of school districts um, go far beyond what is uh, recommended by DESE. They they adhere to, or they try to adhere to the CDC. Um, and in the debate that followed, um, it was very clear that uh, the, the guidelines that were being uh, created or proposed don't follow CDC. They don't follow the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. And, um, Dina Levy, who is a school committee member, actually pointed out how very problematic it was that you know we would be considering uh, something that didn't adhere to the science. Uh, and in Jeff, my, if I can yeah. interrupt, for those sure. of us who
0: don't live in Northampton, yeah, 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 <clears throat> um, can you boil it down to what are the issues? Is it mandatory masking? What are the real hardcore so issues?
4: The DESE guidance, uh, so the state guidance, basically says, we don't recommend that you test we don't recommend that you do contact tracing. We don't recommend that you mask, period. That's it, with the, with the sole exception of if a student actually has a confirmed case of COVID. That's the only instance. Um, and so if 90% of the kids in school are out with COVID, then according to the, if you adopt the DESE guidelines, you can't do it, you can't, ma- you can't tell, uh, tell people that they need to mask. Um, you can't test people and so on and so forth. Is it the libertarian
0: kind of thing that motivated Desi to implement those guidelines?
4: Well, I think that the the motivation is about the singular focus by a Republican administration to get kids back in school no matter what period, end of story.
0: And when you and I talked about this at a previous uh, show, um, you actually made some sense to me. I I asked you about... um, what about these dreadful, this report card, this assessment that shows that uh, fourth graders nationally are, have uh, decreased in their uh, achievement by 25%, in eighth grader in math and in English and your yep. response. And I said, isn't that uh, showing that maybe uh, virtual learning and maybe masking, is that, is that in there? And what? It, and you came back with a pretty interesting response.
4: Yeah, and it, I mean it's not my response, but it's it's you know it's one of many responses, which is that we just got through, uh, and we're still enduring a pandemic, which has killed over um, you know I think one point two million people. It's at uh, at this point in this country, and kids were sent home and schools were closed because we were concerned that they might get this and die, or they might get this and get sick, and that still is a concern. It should kind of interferes with
0: their learning. You also pointed right. out that two hundred and fifty thousand of those who
4: died have children. Uh, two hundred. Yes. So there's two hundred fifty thousand children in the United States lost a caregiver. Lost a caregiver in the last few years, uh, due to COVID. And so, yeah, that's that's a that's a thing. I have two
1: questions. Yeah. Um. Do you expect the the incoming uh, governor to make any adjustments in her appointments uh, at the statewide level that could Uh, change this policy.
4: I have a hard hard time imagining that a democratic governor is not going to uh, choose medical guidance and medical experts on the merit of the science. Um, And that's that's something that the Baker administration, Dr. Goodman, just pointed out. They didn't do that. Mm. Uh, other New England states have done that. We haven't done that because there was this singular focus to get kids back in school.
0: Well, Dan, before you ask the second question, now that we framed the issue, yeah, what happened last? So night what at happened to the, end of the right. story?
4: So they essentially they sort of had a, a modified re- uh, version of this. It was sort of like cutting the the baby in two, in which they said, okay, well, we're going to adopt Desi's guidelines. But also, if the superintendent thinks that it's, you know, uh, it's necessary for people to mask, then the superintendent can give that order. Um, so it was, it was fairly weak. It was not based upon... and delegated their authority to the superintendent. Yeah.
0: And so, so do not... we have a COVID protocol policy in effect right now? In New- Northampton?
4: Yeah, it's basically, we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to test, we're not going to contact trace, and we're not going um, to uh, uh, mask. We're not going to tell people they need to mask if, if yeah the rates are bad.
1: So we only have two minutes, but you know, yep. this is a bit unfair to ask you now. But, okay, if there's a minimum uh, standard, which is the Desi standard for, yep. for guidelines, and you're, uh, or at least you and other medical scientists are saying we should be going above that like other states are doing in New England, here's the question is, how far do we go what is the model to go above and beyond it, it, it? given yeah. given the fact that like usually yeah. people want to follow one standard uniform sure, protocol sure. and go yeah. above
4: it so the one that we keep bringing up is the cdc the center for disease control they have you know guidelines for what schools k through 12 should do in the cases of masking in the cases of testing in the cases of ventilation lots of school systems including dr uh, megan Harvey, uh, who was on, you know, two weeks ago, she's uh, on the school committee in uh, East Hampton. She's an epidemiologist. They adopted, you know, guidelines that more closely adhere to the CDC policy and guidelines. Um, the Boston public schools—if you look at their—we could just copy their policy, and they have, you know, they have crazy uh, upgrades to their ventilation and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Northampton did not, does mm-hmm. not. Northampton has basically decided to not follow the science. Um, and I think that's that's the the fundamental thing here. And I think what's notable is that Dr. Goodman actually resigned at the end of this meeting, and he mm. said that you know in the in the in the committee that um, that he felt ins- used, insulted, and disrespected, and that there were predetermined agendas and decisions that were made on this committee that independent voices were outvoted by people who had no medical experience, and that's exactly what happened.
0: Well, I was ready to celebrate
4: democracy. Now what do I do? Well, it's democracy. It's just not one that's grounded in science. There we go.
0: Jeff DePolitano, we've done it again. Thank you so much for bringing that. Thank you so much for bringing uh, Representative Farley Bouvier um, on today. Everybody else, thank you for a great week. Have a great weekend, and Monday we'll be at it again at 4 o'clock on the Afternoon Buzz. This for is the us.
3: Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
9: be so nice to come home.
8: WHMP is looking for organizations that regularly distribute information about employment opportunities to job applicants or have job applicants to refer. If your organization would like to receive notification of job vacancies at our station, please notify us at Careers WHMP Radio, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Massachusetts, 01060, phone number 413-586-7400, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer and encourages minorities and females to apply.
3: Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. On Northampton Radio Group Station. It